Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The European Championships with Football Social Daily. Here we are on the cusp of history and for once I'm not being flippant. England are poised to do something they've not done for over 40 years. Reach the final of a major football tournament and a nation is now 100% convinced, or to use a footballing vernacular, 110% convinced that it is coming home. I'm Jim Salverson and this is Football Social Daily which today will be mainly building up to that crunch semi-final match between the Three Lions and Denmark and trying not to get too excited about the next game because after all first thing is first. On today's podcast we have Sports Social's Jordan Henderson. Solid, dependable, always there but it's really hard to believe there isn't a better option available. We've got Marley Anderson. How are you doing, Marley? As if you just compared me to a Mackham, I quit. <laughs> F this podcast, never liked it anyway. <laughs> and alongside Marley, we've got a man that Football Social Daily fans are demanding to see more of, but the management are failing to see his potential, only using him sparingly. It's our very own Jack Grealish, Ian Brennan. How are you doing, Ian? <laughs> yes, and uh, with an Alice band as well, because I'm set on my hair, but I'm getting that fixed tomorrow. Good work. It's not all about England today, of course. We will be taking a look back at the heavyweight battle last night as well between Spain and Italy, with Spain failing to field a recognised striker for most of the game. Did that ultimately lead to their downfall? We'll discuss that shortly. Plus, we're going to be talking Barcelona, we're going to be talking Gareth Bale, we're going to be talking Raheem Sterling in the rumour wrap as well, as we take a look at the transfer market, which would appear to be warming up slightly at the moment, ahead of the new season. But we do need to start with England versus Denmark. It's tonight, it's eight o'clock. It's what would appear to be a relatively straightforward route to the final compared to what the other half of the draw might have offered up. How are we feeling about this one, Marley? Are we nervous? Are we confident? Is it coming home? Uh, I'm fairly confident, yeah. Um, I know you probably should treat this with a bit of trepidation and a bit of you know uh you know we don't know what's going to happen kind of thing but 
Nine times out of ten, England beat Denmark. Um, this shouldn't be any different, in my opinion. So it's um, it's one of them. It's a massive opportunity, and I think you know England have came through the hardest test that they they, they could have really in in Germany and overcoming someone that had that um, had that psychological edge over them of, of always beating them at major championships. Um, beating them in the stage where England are probably most used to going out, you know, the last 16 or even the quarterfinals, but obviously it was the last 16 this time round. So, yeah, I think this is this is a huge game. Um, I think the players realise that, but I'm not, I don't expect them to freeze. Um, in, in previous times, I've, I've expected, um, I've expected this sort of thing to end as soon as we face a, a, something where there's something on the line. Um, but this time, I think it's, it's, it's definitely different from my opinion. So, I think um, I think they'll get it done. I think it'll be one step too far for Denmark. I think they haven't played a a top top quality side like like England have yet, um, except when they played Belgium in the group stage and got beat um, pretty handily in in that second half. So yeah, I think um, brilliant. I think it's England's England's chance to uh, to reach a final for the first time since '66. So what's that? Fifty years, fifty five years. So bring it on. Um- conscious that anything we say on this podcast today potentially jinxes the whole thing and ruins England's chances <laughs> but it does feel different this time Ian this England team they feel psychologically stronger with Gareth Southgate even compared to the team that went out to Croatia in the World Cup three years ago they feel like more of a unit they feel more professional somehow they do. And I was thinking about this. When you look back at previous tournaments, not even just the more recent ones, but, you know, when we hark back to Three Lions and all that kind of stuff, and that video's been doing the rounds quite a lot, uh, certainly in our house, but I know that it's it's been wheeled out again. And you look at some of the players there that, that were involved in that tournament, and you just think, how did we ever have any belief in that in that lineup? You know, when you look at the teams of the day, and as you say, how professional they were and stuff like that. I mean, really, you know, we we, we are the perennial hopers in this country. We always hope that we're going to do it. But really, have we ever had a team like we've got now? We have got one of the best teams in the world at the moment. And and that is a result of a lot of hard work over a number of years. This has been built. This is not luck. And I think over time, we've had we've been lucky. We've had some good players come along. Like Let's say like David Beckham, for example, in the last 15 years or so. David Beckham came along. He was a fantastic player. Um, rose up through the ranks, was nurtured further by Manchester United, went on to be a world superstar. That was a bit more kind of a a, 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 a convenient sort of meeting of circumstances at the time that, that led to that. We didn't put a great deal of work in at grassroots level to bring him through. He was being worked hard by his dad on the, on the training pitch in his own time sort of thing as, as a youngster. Whereas now we have got that. We have got a... a, a, a a progression, a path for youngsters to get into football, to be nurtured, brought through the system, and then you know they can perform at the top level. And and as I say, this is a result of um, a lot of work. And look back through the other tournaments we've been in at the younger levels, the under 18s, the under 19s, under 21s have all had success. One constant with that is Gareth Southgate. And now this is sort of the fruition of a a decade of work really in the England team. And yeah, I think other other teams around the world are sitting up and taking notice that not only are we a good team, but we've also got good, solid individuals. 
But the big difference is that we are an England team now, not just a collection of quite talented English players. We are a team, and, and you can name who is likely to be on that you know, that pitch, whereas perhaps maybe five, ten years ago, you, you didn't exactly know who our lineup was likely to be. And I know there's still a few question marks here and there, but yeah, you know, it is exciting. It is exciting, and there is something different to this this time. Yeah, it might go wrong tonight. I don't want to jinx anything, but you know that that's football. It wouldn't be if we knew what the result was going to be all the time. It wouldn't be exciting, would it? But the the groundwork is there, and if not this year, you know we've still got the World Cup to look forward to next time, and it's only going to get better and keep this unit together because we are playing as a team, and that is something that we haven't had for a very long time. For me, the one of the big differences as well is that, is that there seems to be a strength in management. There isn't an attempt to shoehorn players into positions they don't normally play just to accommodate them on the field that maybe we've seen from previous England setups. And Southgate deserves a huge amount of credit. We talked about him yesterday on the Football Social Daily podcast, talked about his redemption for England. But away from Southgate... now. I was talking to Niall about this yesterday off the podcast. I was saying that I think this England team deserves to a little nod, a little bit of appreciation to Pep Guardiola and what he's done for football within England. And Niall laughed at me, Marley. So I'm wondering what your view on this is. And let me explain where I'm coming from here. I'm not comparing Gareth Southgate to I was going to say, Guardiola. I'm going to need some more explanation. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to have to give me some context here, mate. <laughs> it, it, Go on. It, it's the psychological strength, I think, Pep Guardiola has brought to the Premier League. I think the professionalism of the game has improved since he has come to the league. I think that, and it's not wholly responsible, the high press isn't a Guardiola thing. We've seen many managers employ this over the few years, but that has been a very successful tactic for England. But what really reminds me of Guardiola about this England setup is the beginning of this season when Manchester City were looking pretty shaky. And Guardiola realised that he had to rebuild somehow. And he did that with a very solid defensive base. He stopped conceding goals and then he worked his way forward. Now, England are kind of stuck in the pragmatic defensive phase of that rejuvenation. But it's almost as if Southgate's gone, look, I don't get these players for very long. So what can we do well, simply that will then provide a solid base for us to get those victories on. So that's kind of where I'm coming from in terms of Guardiola needs a little bit of credit for the success for this England team. Am I talking (laughs) 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 Um, understand. I understand your point. Um, I do. But um, I think with the, the limited time kind of thing that you said, I think it's certainly easier to build a solid team rather than an extravagant team that's good at attacking because that takes that takes a long time you see that with um with teams that almost get relegated every year and they bring in a manager for three or four months and the the first thing they do is try and ensure up the defense and they build from the back to the front i think that's what you've you've got to do if you've got limited time or a serious problem with sort of cohesion of your team so i think maybe i'm not sure that england ever had those problems but with the with the limited time thing you know it is it is easier to to um to to be safety first and then build and then you know as time goes on you let your your sort of colours flourish in the attacking third and the middle third but yeah yeah to an extent it, you, Guardiola coming to the Premier League has probably took the Premier League on to a slightly a different level I think it it started getting better when when Conte came to the Premier League as well in 2016 and and brought that back three system um all the way to to England because nobody played that before that. Nobody played uh, three at the back in England before Conte came and started doing it and, and walked the league after a poor start um, in 2016. So 
you know, now you look and, and pretty much every team in the in the Premier League except Burnley have gone for a back three at some point or a back five and, you know, tried something different and sort of um made, like let their own sort of style come through and, and and sort of generate into into some sort of their own philosophy in in a way and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't because, you know, some coaches are better at it than others. Um you know, Steve Bruce makes it look like rocket science, but Pep Guardiola <laughs> makes playing without a striker look like a, a masterstroke. So, you know, what I mean, it's 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 different different sort of things of of taking the game on. Guardiola maybe can can hold uh, you know something to to making the the Premier League slightly more sort of Spanish in in sort of a way of where more teams play on on the on the floor and try and press high and pressing's become such a big part of the game now that that's almost where so many games are won. You know, the high if you press high, the other team can't play. You suffocate them. It's simple as that. You've seen it with Italy last night um, and Spain. You know, Italy had to had to attack so quickly because the Spanish press was so high, um, but they knew that and they they prepared for it. So it's just it's. It's one of the things that it's hard to put it down to just Guardiola. So maybe you are talking a little bit of uh, a little bit of B, but you know it's uh, it's Part not. Of the course. You, you've did, <laughs> yeah. It wouldn't be an old if you weren't talking some sort of uh, <laughs> questionable stuff. Um, and yeah, I'm going to give you pellets because you introduced me as Jordan Henderson today, so I'm not, I'm not sticking up for you today at all. Um, but yeah, it, it, he's probably got some sort of impact in there. Um, you probably can't put it down to one thing, but there will be something somewhere. Especially with like many city players playing in the in the England team as well, it's bound to sort of seep through and, and filter through. And there's also, I think, you know, with with Guardiola, one thing, but um, obviously me being a Leeds fan and that, there's there's definitely echoes of Bielsa as well in that midfield. With obviously Calvin Phillips knows how that plays, but he seems to be playing more of a Leeds game now than he used to do, say in some of those warm up games. And uh, clearly, um, Guardiola and Bielsa are very, very similar. He's, Bielsa's Guardiola's kind of mentor and all that kind of stuff. But there is a pattern of play, I think, that's very... Certainly, I notice it, and it is, it is kind of like watching Leeds, but with better players <laughs> with England. It's that kind of the same the, the way that they're playing out. And I know some England fans are going, oh, why are they doing that? But I'm, I'm more, I've got a bit more faith in it because I've seen it. I've seen it more, and, and certainly where Calvin Phillips is is concerned, you know what the plan is, you know what he's trying to do. Now some people say he's negative, but look back at some of the goals that England has scored, and, and somewhere along the line there is one of those what is termed as a negative pass or a side pass has actually led to to a break uh, away to, towards the goal and stuff like that. So um, yeah, it is it is interesting that how that pattern of play has emerged, and it's unlike certain other managers that would would contribute to the, to the Premier League. It hasn't come from them. So there certainly is that sort of um, that system being being employed. And as you say, with that amount of players uh, from um, teams there that, that play that system, it's, it's, it's you know, um, square pegs in square holes and stuff like that, isn't it? You know, do, do what you know and it's working. I think there's more of an understanding from England fans, and I include myself in this in terms of the way England play this tournament and those negative sideways passes that you mentioned, Ian, are suddenly being seen as a game plan, that retention of possession, that not giving the ball away cheaply, waiting for an opportunity, being patient, all those things that have become a hallmark of England during these Euros. As for tonight, how are England going to set up? Because we saw 
a very pragmatic defensive display against Germany, which really worked. Like Germany, I think tonight for Denmark, it's going to be very important to contain the fullbacks because the Danish fullbacks like to get forward. They like to get crosses in the box. So Luke Shaw and Carl Walker probably are going to have to, they're going to have to adopt that press. They're going to have to try and push those fullbacks back into their own half. But then against Ukraine, who were weaker opposition, obviously, we saw a little, something a little bit more expansive. What do you think we're going to see from England tonight, Marley? Um, I think we'll we'll stick with the four four at the back, the four two three one. I think it gets the best out of um, the the players we've got. Certainly the attacking players we've got. Um, Denmark usually play with the back three, so it'd be interesting. Um, you know, everybody was panicking about Germany's back three and saying, "Oh, we have to shackle them. We have to, we have to, uh, you know, uh, neutralize their wing backs getting forward and stop them having five in midfield and out out uh, out pressing us and you know outperforming us in in that area." I don't think anybody's really talking about Denmark because they're, they're simply... Yes, they're not as good, but also they've had one of the players of the tournament in Joachim Mailer at, at left wing-back. He's been brilliant and he put probably the best assist I've seen in the last five years in uh, for Dolberg's goal against Czech Republic on Saturday when he bent that cross in with the outside of his foot. So he's got great quality, so he has to be watched. Um, but I would, approach this, I, I would approach the Germany game you know, like a week ago in the same way, I'd have just gone for focusing on what you can do in a four-two-three-one and pinning them back rather than concentrating on cancelling them out. I think we'd have won that game against Germany anyway. Um, and I think it's similar with Denmark tonight, except I think Southgate will go with his, his normal four-two-three-one formation. Um, Does that include he's... Mason Mount at number 10, do you think? Because he had a good game for the Ukraine after missing a couple being isolated with the, the COVID situation. Probably. Um just because he loves Mason Mount, and Mason Mount is is a ta- is a tactical player. He can he'll take on what he's told, and he'll do it very very well. Um, and I know he's got stick um, in the past, you know, for not quite performing to the level of the that reflects the, the manager's faith in him with with Lampard and and with Southgate. But I think he's a quality player, um, and he'll probably play in that number ten position. Sterling will play on one of the one of the wings, probably the left, and then you've got Foden, Grealish, or Sancho, or Saka on the right. So, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, oh, who should play, who should play in the in the attacking three. And for all this tournament, I've gone. I'm not really bothered, and it's not because, you know, one. It's not because I don't want England to do well. It's because they're all absolutely quality. You've got like five or six options there for for one role or three roles if you want to you know, widen it out, and they're all brilliant. Like I wouldn't if Saka if Saka Grealish and Foden played tonight, we should still win the game, um, and I'd still be confident of doing well. If Grealish um, drops to the bench and it's Sterling, Mount, and Sancho, I'd still be confident. It's just there's. So many attacking options there that are brilliant that I don't really think it matters who plays because they're all quality. They're all at a very similar level. So whoever plays, I think they should get the job done. Um, and if you play four two three one, you focus on your own strengths. I think Denmark will probably want to try and play on the counter attack anyway. Um, so if you take the if you take um, the game to them with the the four, you know. Attackers, the four, the four guys that are going to try and cause them problems and break through that uh, that three man defence or five man defence. It's going to be uh, a, a decent night for England, I think. How do you approach this if you're Denmark? Then, Ian, where are the weaknesses in this England side? Where are the targets? How do you potentially find that little chink? I think it's <clears throat> as as Germany almost 
found. I think it's just keeping your cool and 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 keeping going and plugging away and and biding your time because England will make mistakes like Raheem Sterling did. And obviously it nearly was uh, a different story against Germany when Muller missed that. What was quite, we were all expecting the, the neck to net to, uh, to bulge there, weren't we, when when he took that shot? And, and it didn't. And, and I think when that kind of thing happens, you know it's your day. <laughs> it's just never usually happens. But just wait for those chances. And I think, um, you know, Denmark are... Uh, a fairly pressing team at times and when you play like that you are going to make mistakes and that's the thing with with when you you know hassle players now that's what England are very good at doing themselves so it'll be interesting to see how how it all pans out with that and 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 which press works the best but I think um yeah just keep going and I think that they will get their opportunities England are going to go through periods of the game where they're not quite as stable because England have these periods of the match where they go for it and then they're quite defensive for for you know sort of 75% of the game that they, they, they'll have so far anyway kind of bided their time kept the ball and then taking their opportunities when it comes but they do have 10-15 minute periods in each half where you know they throw everything at it and and see if they can force uh, force a situation to lead to a goal and it's that's obviously worked very well um but i think when england come at you then you know the counter attack will would be the thing and um i don't think there's a particular weak player that you know you you would get the better of um and of course all the cards are rescinded now as well because that maybe there were previously that where maybe um the two midfielders um, might might have been a little bit sort of less keen to to get themselves booked but that's all chalked off now so um yeah i'm not sure whether there's a particular um gaping chink in the armor to be honest and even uh, jordan pickford you know he's he's been brilliant in this tournament we can't say anything uh, otherwise he's, he's made some absolute brilliant saves and sometimes the goalkeeper has been our perhaps our weak link if you have a, a long-range dip and he gets flustered and you know misses it or is off his line or something like that but you can't even say that so it's it it's all bodes well but um yeah, you never know, but I think we could just just that lack of concentration, perhaps later on in the game. You know, if if things are still nil nil or one one, it's very very tight. Sixty seventy minutes when the concentration starts waning a bit, um, that could be our our problem is just keeping that concentration up. And hopefully, we don't make massive wholesale changes for the sake of it. We haven't done so far, but that could be the other thing where we pull off some key players and some players that are maybe not played much in the tournament come on and make some errors and I think we looked a lot more assured in the last game um, obviously we were 4-0 up 3-0 up or whatever when the changes happened but I think after the changes we didn't look quite so solid Potentially I think the danger comes from set pieces for Denmark I mentioned how they like to get crosses into the box quite powerful from, de- from set pieces and as much as I love John Stones as a player I think he's a really exciting centre-back to watch. Cultured, you might say. He is susceptible to the odd mistake when he's dealing with crosses into the box. We saw it with City a lot last season, a few mistakes from him. That potentially is a danger area for England. But as you mentioned, Jordan Pickford maybe hasn't had the credit he deserves this tournament, Marley. We've praised Harry Maguire since he's come into the team. Harry Kane's got some praise for his form at the latter half of the tournament. Raheem Sterling has been the star man. But after all, England have clipped five clean sheets now in the European Championships. There is no team that has ever kept clean sheets Six clean sheets in the European Championship. So records are there to be broken. Does Jordan Pickford deserve a huge amount of credit or is it more about the team in front of him that's limited the chances and limited actually what he has to do? 
Uh, I think it's it's more probably about the team. Um, I think he's only had a he's had a few saves to make, and when he's when he's had to make them, he's made them. Um, talk about the the sort of one on one ish with with Timo Werner in the Germany game. Havertz is volley in the same game. Um, he barely had a save to make against Scotland or or even Croatia um, or Czech Republic. Can't remember too much about the Czech Republic game in terms of them creating chances. So. I think that's more about the team and the team being so dominant and comfortable in possession that you can keep the ball away a long way from from the goal. Um, and the other team have got a lot of work to do to get close to to get even within shooting range. If you keep the ball high up the pitch and and you're comfortable with it and you can be patient. Um, so yeah, it's, I think he has got enough credit to be honest. I, I don't agree with him not having enough credit. I think his his distri- distributions had a lot of. Um, a lot of people saying how how good it's been, um, and how you know confident he's looked with the ball at his feet. He's he's not made any mistakes in that respect yet. I think he's he's he he he, he sort of like he passes it long. He doesn't just boot it. He, he always, there's always a target. There's obviously you know, he's always obviously trying to do something, pick someone out rather than just hammer it towards Harry Kane and hope for a flick on, for example. Um, but yeah, I think I think he's had enough credit to be honest. I think in fairness, his his last game. Um, was probably his his worst kicking wise the Ukraine. I think he had, he had a couple of um sort of scuffs and what have you. But it's that that happens. You you always gonna have one sort of um game slightly not at your best. Um, but he didn't have a save to make as well, so it's not really an issue there for for Pickford in that game. So he's he's certainly proved as well. Now I think there won't be as much talk. Um, over who should be England's number one next season. I mean, they probably will actually. When Henderson catches a simple cross, everyone will be like, "Oh, he should be England's <laughs> number one." And Pickford's a short arm little midget and all this. But he's the thing that I like about Southgate is he trusts players that mm-hmm. haven't let him down for for England. And Pickford's never let England down. He was um, he was great at the uh, the World Cup, um, and he was great at um, in the Nations League. And Southgate has no reason to uh, to drop him. So. He's repaid that faith, and now he's won the Golden Glove in the, the tournament as well because no one can match his, uh, his five clean sheets. As you say, as of last night, he won the Golden Glove after the game finished 1-1 last night and neither of the keepers picked up a clean sheet. Now, here's a little stat for you. So, it could potentially be a record six clean sheets in a Euros or a World Cup for England, but prior to this, where have these records lied? So, believe it or not, Switzerland didn't concede a goal for 559 minutes, which is six games across World Cup matches. It just so happens those World Cup matches were split across a few tournaments from 1994 to 2010. So that doesn't really count. So the closest record I can find for this is the most consecutive clean sheets by a team in FIFA World Cup qualifying matches. So the number is 12. But which team do you think holds that record? 12 consecutive clean sheets in qualifying matches or tournament matches? Uh, Sweden. Marley says Sweden. That's not a bad guess. Ian? Somebody very efficient. You see, I don't think it's Germany because I think that will be too obvious. Um, It's not obvious. (laughs) I can tell you that much. It's not obvious. Iceland. Right. Somebody, yeah. It's it's a country with the great efficiency. Um... (laughs) Norway. Iran. Blimey. 
Iran. Kept 12 wow. clean sheets between November 17th, 2015 and the 13th of 31st of August, 2017. But anyway, England can eclipse those records tonight against Denmark anyway. Yeah, they had they had a very tough Kyrgyzstan team to play 13 <laughs> times in that run. Well, well that's it. Yeah. It's sometimes about the qualifying group rather than the ability of the team. Don't forget if you're betting tonight, Borat the... playing up front for Kazakhstan. <laughs> <laughs> if you're play, if you're betting tonight on the England game, you can check out Boyle Sports for the latest odds. And if you're putting a bet on the England game as well, there is that 10 pound no lose bet offer available during the European Championships. Put 10 quid on any market you fancy during the England game. First goal scorer, score cast, whatever you like. If the bet loses, you get your stake back as a free bet into your account. If it wins, you get to celebrate with your winnings and get a couple of extra rounds in in the pub. All the info is online at boilsports.com or in the Boyle Sports app. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. Bet responsibly. Begambleaware.co.uk and if you are in the pub buying extra rounds, drink responsibly as well. So, last night's match. The Potential opponent to England in a potential final, trading very carefully, was decided in Italy versus Spain. It was a great game and we'll talk about it next on Football Social Daily. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. We've talked about England versus Denmark tonight. Let's have a quick look back at last night's game, Italy versus Spain. Two heavyweights in the football world and two heavyweights in the national anthem world as well. I think Spain and Italy both have brilliant national anthems. I think it's partly to do with a country's history with fascism. If a country has a fascist past... (laughs) In general, they've got a really good national well, anthem. Well, we might have a fascist um, future, so we'll see what ours is like in 50 yeah. years. <laughs> Improve ours. Get, get some more horn sections in there. Who, who, who edges it from a national anthem front, Ian? Well, do you know what? I uh, I listened to both national anthems in full before before this. <laughs> good, just to, good preparation. Yeah, just to give them the... Uh, well, the thing was, I was listening to them on my Spotify in my little studio, and uh, I didn't realise for, uh, for about 30 seconds that my Spotify was connected to the Google Home device in the upstairs bedroom in the house. So uh, the <laughs> Spanish national anthem would have been playing to my uh, my missus who was getting ready, um, so, but no no questions have been asked so far. So uh, maybe it's just the thing that she does anyway. Um, do you know what? On balance, I think uh, the Italian national anthem is the most rousing. It's got that added element of a bit of opera involved in there as well. It's the it's the singing that does it. I think that's because uh, many national anthems are instrumental, and whilst the uh, Spanish national anthem them sounds like something from a nice ballet i think you've got that uh you know red-blooded thing of the italian opera beating at you with that uh that italian national anthem so yeah um the national anthem of italy for me given the choice do you know what i think um it makes a difference when the team are absolutely belting it out on the pitch and singing it full-blooded as well which the italian team 100 percent did before this spain match they went on to be victors it was a penalty shootout after a 1-1 draw marley did they deserve it? Or was this just typical of kind of how Spain have been in this tournament to a certain extent? They have possession, they have chances, they've just seemed to have lacked that little bit of cutting edge. Uh, yeah, I think it was a really interesting game. Um, I very much enjoyed watching two hours of it last night because, you know, it, they could still be playing now and I'd be still rooted to my TV because it was just, it was so finely poised because. At any point, Spain could have broken through, and at any point, Italy could have just nicked the ball back and, you know, gone on the counter attack where they they did it a few times in the game, Italy, and they nearly got through. And the problem is playing Spain, you have to be, um, you have to be precise and absolutely rapid if you're going to score against them because they get back in numbers so well. 
um, and they've got so much more energy than you because you, they've kept the ball for the last hour and you've you've seen it probably five times in the last you know 25 minutes um that yeah everything's got to be precise but Italy proved that it can be done I mean Chiesa's goal was fantastic um the way they they broke away and uh and took advantage of, of the second ball and won it and had numbers in there to support I think it was Immobile who, who originally ran away with it um and yeah, there was virtually no no backlift on his shot either, which I thought was brilliant. It yeah. was kind of like it was just kind of just almost stroked round the keeper. Yeah, he's a fantastic player, Chiesa. Um, he started off on the bench in, in this uh, in this tournament with Berardi getting picked ahead of him of, of Sassuolo, but Chiesa has been one of their players of the tournament. I think he's been absolutely brilliant. Um, I think he got a little bit looked a little bit injured. I don't know whether it was cramp or a hamstring. Um, going off towards the end, so I don't know if he'll be available for the final. It depends on what he's like, but he's certainly a massive player for them. Um, and he took his goal really well. You know, he, he, as soon as he picked it up, I mean, everybody in the stadium knew that he was coming inside onto his right foot, except Eric Garcia, who seemed to have just thought, "Well, I've never seen this guy before. I don't know where. I don't. Uh, I don't know where he's going to go." Um, showed him inside onto his right foot, and he got punished for it. So. There's uh, there's something about Eric Garcia. I've never understood the hype around Eric Garcia. If, if I'm totally honest, you can't you can't tell me he looks like he's going to be one of the best players in the world and one of the best you know defenders in the world because he's from Barcelona. Yes, he's good on the ball and he he can pass it and he he looks like a nice and confident and and good in in possession and things like that. But when it comes to actual defending, you'd fancy more strikers against him either physically or. Or just in terms of being mentally quicker, and Kiesa, Kiesa just done him last night. Absolutely brilliant play to uh, to to finish it as well. Uh, great finish. Um, but yeah, Italy were Italy were good value for it. I know it's hard to sort of say that they deserved to win when they had like thirty percent possession. But as we know, there's there's so many ways of winning a football game. They knew they weren't going to have possession because um, nobody does against Spain. That you, you sit and watch them play in front of you for large periods of the match. Um, but as long as you stay solid and committed, um, I think you 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 stay you stick in there. You you have a chance, and you see the way Chiellini and Benucci were heading everything away and kicking everything away like two absolute Roman warriors. Them two absolutely amazing centre back pairing, um, and then it's up to the strikers and the attackers to go and go and win you the game when they can. And Italy managed to, well, almost do it in normal time, and then get the just rewards when it went to penalties because. I don't think Spain Spain ever had a chance in that penalty shootout at all. Not with the way the way things have gone in with their penalties recently, and with the the sheer amount of characters in that Italian side, they were always going to uh, win that penalty shootout. We'll get onto the penalties shortly. As you say, Italy looked like they were going to do it in normal time. It was a tactical change from the Spanish bench. Morata came on. They started the game without a recognised striker, Ian, and as we've said. They had possession, they had chances, just lacked a little bit of cutting edge. And it wasn't until Morata came on that they managed to get the goal back. It was suggested, I think, that uh, Donnarumma should have done better with that Morata finish. But I don't. Th- I mean, it, it was one of those things for me where he just had to make a decision. It was either left or right. He had to commit either way and Morata read it well and finished well. So was that Spain's downfall, ultimately, the fact that they didn't? play a recognised striker they didn't play someone who had that lethal finishing ability we've seen Spain do it plenty of times before and it's worked but occasionally it just doesn't yeah we mentioned um, I think last week or the week before about Spain and their general team makeup and how they've kind of neglected um, 
the whole striker area of, of their team. The, it's just one of the things that with the, the Spanish national um, team as, as it is and, and Spanish football in general seems to be not particularly well blessed with, with a huge choice of strikers and they've uh, got quite a few handy midfielders and so on, and um, but not, not so much in, in, in the striking department. Um, we'll we'll never know if 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 it would have made a difference um, having an out and out striker on from from the start i guess and all i'll say is that uh, you know Murata, um a lot of people were uh, well he, he went from here at a villain didn't he because of the the, the penalty and and all that kind of stuff it was uh, taking the shine off off the achievement of the night which was the fact that he's now scored more goals than at the european championships for spain than than any other player He's he's got six goals in European Championships, so he's the all-time top scorer in in European Championship football for Spain. And the gloss may be taken off it with the, with that um, penalty shootout situation. But um, yeah, you'd think if you've got somebody like that who's a, you can't imagine, for example, uh, a team like Portugal starting um, Cristiano Ronaldo on the bench, you know, for example, or no. or England starting Harry Kane on the bench just cause. You know, we, we, it wouldn't happen. Uh, so when you look at it like that, Com- comparing Morata to them two is uh, is quite a stretch. <laughs> yeah, but you, that's, you, you, that's even more of a stretch than Guardiola being the uh, key behind English football. Look, I, can, I, can only, I can only work with what I'm given, but you know that's that's as close as it gets. <laughs> In terms of the penalties, I mean, it was a fascinating game right the way through and it continued into the penalty shootout as well. One of my favourite bits of the entire game was the argument that the two captains seemed to have when the <laughs> toss was decided. I mean, I've heard of the phrase arguing the toss. It was nice to see it actually acted out on a football pitch. What was going on there? Have you got any clue as to what that argument was about, Marley? Just Chiellini being just, just high on life. No, I, no I, I, I just think it was... Chiellini being just happy, like he's just a happy guy. He, he loves playing football. Um, he's been there before. He wasn't scared, you know. He's the most probably the, well. He was the most experienced player on the pitch last night. So, what is he? Thirty six, thirty seven. So, it's nothing he hasn't seen before. He's won everything. He's been there. He he can put the situation into context. Um, I don't I don't know whether it was uh, Alba trying to get the trying to win the toss and choose which side he wanted to take the penalties. I think I think it was because something was, triggers. Yeah, there was one goal that had more Italian fans behind it. Yeah. And I think they were trying to get they wanted that end. Yeah, that's right. that's probably what it was. So, I mean, it, it experience allows you to take things into context like that. So he he was messing about with Alba. Alba's obviously very experienced as well and a bit of a joker too. So, it was uh it was just nice to see and then the way the size difference as well made it as well because when he when he hugged him at the end he nearly broke him in half. <laughs> Keeling, he picked him up like a child <laughs> picking up a um like a a, a a father picking up a child. It was brilliant. Um it, it also reminded me I, I don't think uh Giorgio Chiellini had too many rabbits as a as a child because he probably hugged them all to death. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's uh, he's, he's top character in. He's just one of them players you like to uh, you like to to watch. And you know, I remember a few years ago when he when he took the mick out of Tottenham when they knocked out uh, when Juventus knocked him out of the uh, Champions League, and he said it's the history of Tottenham to not reach a final. So we knew we were going to win. Um, and it's just one of the, the best quotes ever because <laughs> it was what everyone was thinking. But he said it because he's 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 not scared of. You know, saying things how they are. So uh, that was the best, one of the highlights for the, the match for me. I thought it was brilliant. And and as well, when he actually punched Jordi Albert in the face, right in front of three referees and the fourth <laughs> official. And uh, Albert didn't drop to the floor like a, like a, well, most players do these days. So brilliant. 
you know, I wonder what would have happened if he reacted <laughs> to that. I mean, it wasn't a punch. It was kind of like a a, a chin chuck, wasn't it? It's like a kind yeah. of like, hey, there you go. But if he'd fallen over, I wonder what the reaction <laughs> would have been from the referees. I, I think once the penalty started, you're right, Marley. It was always going to go one way. It just it just felt like Italy were going to win that, particularly when you saw Murata walking up for his penalty. And I, I think you called this on our social media account, at the Sports Social. You said there's never been a player that looked more likely to miss a penalty than Murata stepping yeah. up to take that. Well, did you see his face? Yeah, it, it just didn't. Christ. He looked like he had zero confidence going into he that. He looked like a kid walking to the head teacher's office yeah. and, and being told off. You know, he'd, he'd, done, he'd been caught graffiti and... Uh, a wall or something, and he looked. He looked just like he'd rather be anywhere else. And I said, I said to my girlfriend who wasn't listening at all at the time, I said, "This kid's gonna miss." <laughs> I was like, "Kelly, see this kid. This is see this good-looking Spanish guy here. Yeah, yeah, he's gonna miss his penalty. How do you know that? Well, look at his face." And then she stepped up. He stepped up, missed it, and she was like, "Oh, you were right." And I was like, "Yeah, well, I get things right every now and again." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was exactly the opposite to Jorginho stepping up to take his penalty. And, I mean, that was one of the most confident, cheekiest penalties you'll see with that amount of pressure on you. How would you feel, Ian, if Calvin Phillips steps up in the penalty shootout tonight, fifth penalty, could potentially put England through or out, and he decides to just just a slow side footer, wait for the keeper to commit, slow side footer into the corner. I'll tell you what, Calvin Phillips is burying that penalty. There's no way he's messing (laughs) about doing that kind of stuff he's not that kind of player if anybody's going to do that you're looking at a Grealish or somebody for me I think the conversation is who who from the England team is more likely to do that kind of penalty none of them I don't think I think yeah. England have been too Declan well Rice. drilled they, they just, I just don't think they take that element of risk the England team no, they haven't got the swagger the yeah yeah, I can't see Calvin Phillips or anybody like that doing anything other than burying it top corner. And I, I'm pretty sure that, especially now at this stage of the tournament, that penalties will have been something that they've been doing a lot of. Um, obviously, it comes down to on the moment, on the night, it's different when you've got a stadium full of people and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and hopefully it, it, it's not required. But um, if there's anybody who's got experience of penalty shootouts, it's Gareth Southgate. So uh, we covered there. Finally, Marley, and quite quickly on this one, potentially this has an impact on who England might potentially meet in a potential final. (laughs) Was it good or was it bad? Was this the result that England wanted? Yes, I think it was. Um, Purely because Italy give you more of the game to play with um, than Spain. I think it's hard to make a case for playing Spain in the final when you're not going to see the ball 70% of the time. I think it's so much harder to play. You've got to get so much more right, so so quicker as well. Um, whereas Italy, you can have 50, between 40 and 60% of the ball, probably. You know, you might edge it 55, 45, or you might, you, they might give you 60% possession, but you've got way more chance of doing what you want to do with the ball. Um, whereas with Spain, you're not going to see it for 10 minutes. And when you do see it, you've got to get through the defence really quick and use Sterling and Sancho and whoever it is and get a chance to kin at the split second. Whereas with Italy, you can have way more of a build-up and you can be more patient and you can plan things. Um, and I think just it's much more suitable if England do get to the final. 90 minutes to get through before that even happens. As I said, England versus Denmark kicks off at 8 o'clock this evening. It is Wednesday evening. We're going to talk about transfers next. A very quick rumour wrap as we look at potential moves for Chelsea, for Man City and for Tottenham. We'll do it next on Football Social Daily. 
Welcome back. Final bit of Football Social Daily. We're going to look at some of the transfers. It feels like stuff's starting to happen in the transfer market at the moment. And we're going to kick off with a story that's being reported in the Star today. And apparently Barcelona are going to offer Chelsea the chance to sign Griezmann. I mean, we know that Barcelona are cash-strapped at the moment. There was a great story, which we'll talk about in a moment, about how much they need to wipe off their wage bill in order to even be able to register the players they've already signed this window. We know they couldn't afford to offer Lionel Messi the contract he wants, so he is now a free agent. Does it feel like this? there's any truth in this story, first off, Marley? Does it feel like Griezmann will be offloaded by Barcelona? Or, or is it a case of, actually, they just need to offload anyone at the moment? absolutely no chance is he going to Chelsea no way in hell <laughs> I was looking at the, the wage bill um, for Barcelona last night and apparently the £200 million they need to raise through wages and transfer fees before they can even register the, the new guys like let's Aguero. not let's not over dramatise it it's €200 wow. million Euros, Marley I mean that's <laughs> that's only £175 million it's, <laughs> it's a big difference it's madness isn't it how many, how many is that in yen yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> It's it's absolutely crazy their wage bill and Messi's on I think it's one point two million a week, and as as ridiculous as that is, is the best player that's ever played the game. So okay, mm. you can kind of let that one slide, but then Griezmann's on eight hundred thousand euros a week, and that is just like how has that ever been a thing? How has he ever been worth that? He's very very good. Don't get me wrong, but I mean I don't even know. I don't even know what his best position is. I don't even know if he gets into that team, if everybody's fit with with Barcelona because he kind of plays a similar-ish role to Messi. Um, he certainly did when he was at Sociedad and he, he was moving from the right as as if he was a replacement for Messi almost when they signed him. But I mean, eight hundred grand. Who the hell is going to pay eight hundred grand to bring Griezmann to the club? Well, I mean, if, even PSG would say no. So you you end up with him getting 400 grand a week at Chelsea for example and Barcelona subsidizing 400 grand because I mean that that it's just wipes horrendous a large business isn't it it's mm. horrendous business like I don't know how they've got into this position um well other than just mistakes being made for five years in a row I mean unbelievable man I mean even Frankie de Jong's on 400 grand a week and is he worth 400 he's amazing fine but could you not have got him for 250 he's coming from Ajax Ajax don't pay a lot of money you know, in terms of wage budget, their their top earners maybe on a hundred grand because they all come through the academy, so they're not they're not used to big wages. They don't get big wages. That's why they go abroad. But De Jong's on four hundred, and then you've got loads of average players. I think Pjanic is on very similar, but he's on three hundred plus, and he's never played a game for them barely. So it's just it's unreal the 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 trouble they're in. But you know, going to Chelsea and you know with cap in hand saying please will you take this good French kid off us he's he's only 30 you know <laughs> you're not going to uh, you're, it's just not going to work I've got a feeling there might be some bargains to be had from the Catalan part of Spain this summer there'll be a few clubs well, that will be sniffing you've around you've seen that as well this this summer with Wolves yeah. getting Trincao I mean they had that deal wrapped up within a week I think and the, the, uh, we barely even heard the that wing back that's gone to Leeds as well what's his name Ian yeah Furpo yeah yeah, some great business being done, potentially. There could be some bargains to be had, particularly with the fringe players, maybe. Um, in terms of Chelsea, I mean, Griezmann's being linked with Chelsea. I think we all probably agree that's not going to happen, Ian. But can you see Chelsea potentially looking to strengthen that front line this summer? They've got a lot of good attacking players. They just didn't quite click last year. 
Uh, yeah, I, I reckon they probably will. Um, they, they've got to do something to to keep up with the likes of, of Man City and, and, and so on and, and to kick on and get closer towards winning some silverware, which we know is very important for uh, for, for everybody at Chelsea. Um, and yeah, and I, and I think, you know, with the limitless pockets that Chelsea seem to have and seemingly more limitless than Barcelona at the moment, um, that, yeah, you know, you can see them signing someone like Griezmann. I mean, it's the thing with that is it's not whether they can afford it, it's what it does to the rest of the team, you know, because if you're a, a player um, sat at Chelsea and, you know, they've got many highly paid players there, but nobody at that level that like, like Griezmann or indeed, you know, we're talking about Messi and all that, there's nobody at that level where they're getting paid now on a million quid a week. Um, which, to be honest, you know, could be spent sat on a bench some weeks, depending on if you get injured or, or what have you. That would just upset the apple cart because if you're sat there and all of a sudden somebody comes in who's learning three, four times as much as you, nearly a million pound a week, you're going to think, hang on a minute, well, you know, I'm getting paid 60 grand a week here. I mean, I know it's a lot of money and stuff, but it's, you know, you surely you can say so it upsets the apple cart there, doesn't it? So it's how they manage that. Um, as you say, Barcelona are a bit of a a bit of a car boot sale at the minute because um, Leeds have signed a player from Barcelona as well. Junior Firpo, yes, the one. <laughs> um, is, um, but, you know, they've, they've got him for 15 million quid or something, a left back from Barcelona. And, uh, you know, that we are seeing uh, that they have to sell a lot of players to, to make way for for new ones. And um, it's, it's an interesting situation. You never really have a fire sale at somebody like that. It's honks of uh, spending more than you've got. You're right, when you start upsetting wage structures, it can cause real problems, as West Ham are experiencing at the moment with their attempts to get Declan Rice tied down to a new longer-term contract and players that maybe wouldn't be seen as important or much more money than he would be. Let's turn our attentions to Manchester City and Raheem Sterling, who's had a fantastic European Championships. Apparently, he is open to leaving Manchester City. Pep Guardiola wants him to stay at the Etihad. That's despite him being part of a make-weight deal that was proposed to Tottenham to get Harry Kane over the line. Real Madrid are interested. What will you do if you were Raheem Sterling in this situation, Ian? Do you look to move away now when you've spent the last season pretty much on the edge of the Manchester City team and you've been offered the Spurs as a make-weight? It's never going to make you feel wanted. You just had a brilliant Euros. Your star is probably as high as it has been for a while. Is this the season you look to make that change? I think depending on what happens through the remainder of this tournament, but I mean, even without that, England have got to a semi-final and Raheem Sterling has been a key reason why they've made that. You know, look at the goals that he scored. Um, he scored three three of them. And, um, and as I say, without him, you could argue maybe England won't be quite as successful in this tournament. He does get played differently, and we've talked about this before. That the the, the how he's used with England is is different to how he gets used with Manchester City, and with Manchester City is more of a supporting star, whereas at England he's he's gets more chances to to shoot and and get on the score sheet, and therefore become a little bit more well known, perhaps. Um, it depends what sort of player he wants to be. Does he want to play the game like he's playing for England uh, a little bit more? In which case, you know, maybe moving to somewhere like Real Madrid or indeed another team in the Premier League um, w- would be a thing. And as you say, now is the time to cash in his chips. He's never going to be um, up, uh, held as, as highly aloft potentially as, as he could be in the next week. Um, Manchester City would be loath to let him go, I'm sure, because you don't want to see a, a, a player like that surely walk out the door. But at the same time, if they can't assure him that he's going to get the chances and he's going to get the, the life at Man City that, that he craves, then he's going to have no 
shortage of suitors and, you know, you only live once and if somebody like Real Madrid's offering you the chance, it's got to be an experience to, to go on and, and live that dream uh, of playing for Real Madrid. You know, if they come knocking at the door and they can assure you that you're going to get some decent action as well because obviously you don't want to be a bit part player at Real Madrid. There's no point being that. But, you know, if they came in and said, look, we see you as one of the starting lineup, or you're certainly going to be, you know, forefront of the squad, you know, you've got to look at that, haven't you, and think, well, you know, that'd be quite something. Um, I don't know. I don't know. But then again, he's such a London lad as well, isn't he? I can see him, I can see him going, uh, you know, playing in London for one of the clubs there. I mean, if he does want to move Marley, his options now are going to be more wide and varied than they were three weeks ago, potentially after that. Not disappointing season for City, but certainly not reaching the high standards he has done previously. And if... At the end of the day, if he is going to move, then having the likes of Real Madrid chasing after you, when maybe before the Euros it was the likes of Tottenham, it was linked with my lot inexplicably with a move to West Ham um, right at the end of the season. It would be the t- if you're Raheem Sterling, you'd kind of be looking at those offers, wouldn't you? Um, I I wouldn't if I was him. I I think in in Man City there is um, there's an understood level of rotation between everybody. Everybody knows that uh, Guardiola doesn't pick the same 11 every week. Um, Sterling knows that he can play on the left and the right, so it's not a case of being against one guy um, for his position. You know, if Mahrez is on the right, Mahrez might get uh, a rest every now and again. I, th- I think Sterling, when everybody's fit and playing well, I think Sterling and Mahrez are the two chosen wingers for, for Manchester City. So I don't, I wouldn't leave if I was him. I think there's not a club that can possibly give you what you've already got. Um, I think Real Madrid don't guarantee success right now. Um, they they ha- also have similar money worries, not quite Barcelona's level, but they're certainly looking to, to revamp the squad. I think it's more likely next summer because I think Mbappe is going to run down his contract and probably sign for Real Madrid next summer. So they're, they're kind of being a bit cheaper with their spending until that goes over the line and that can kick off the the sort of spending spree. So I don't think Sterling would... Um, I don't think he would want that, to be honest. I don't think there's any point in it, really. I think that Real Madrid don't give you an obviously better chance of winning the Champions League than Man City. Um, they're not as good as they were two or three years ago when they won three back-to-back. Um, they're not... I don't know. I, I don't think it's as big a pull as, as what it may initially seem. Um, I think... Sterling's got it made at Man City. He's still one of the best players. Um, yes, he had a, a poor season, but those, well, by his standards, but they happen. Um, and he has to have the confidence in himself to bounce back, and especially coming off the back of this summer, where he can be one of England's, well, England's top scorer, probably. Um, maybe even win the tournament. Maybe even be player of the tournament if things go well for him in these next couple of games. So, yeah, it's it, he should back himself, I think, and, and stay at Man City and be be one of their top players. Sticking with Real Madrid, Gareth Bale is once again a Real Madrid player after his loan spell at Tottenham last season. He's on 600 grand a week over in Spain, but his deal expires this summer. There's speculation that he could be stepping away from football. He could be retiring. Do you think that's going to be the case, Ian? I mean, for Gareth Bale, it seems to be largely about wages. And rightly or wrongly, he had that move to China where he was going to be on megabucks and that kind of fell through he's been reluctant to move away from Real Madrid because it would have meant a pay cut to that 600 grand a week wages can you see a player like Gareth Bale he's only 31 turning his back on football yeah I can bizarrely um 
he's obviously he's going to sit there and, and sit out his 600 grand a week deal uh, first, but he, he doesn't seem like he's fully invested in the sport, does he? And, and I know he came and, and played at, at Tottenham and all that, but he wasn't really kind of... I don't know, just something about his demeanour, about his body language, you know, he's like, he's there, yeah, you know, but he just seems like he's been there, done it and achieved it all. And maybe that's the other side of Real Madrid, you know, we're talking about Raheem Sterling and that. You can go to Real Madrid, win everything and do everything, and you think, well, what's the point now? I've I've, I've done as much as I can. I can't win the World Cup with Wales. Um, you know, won Champions League, won La Liga, all that kind of stuff. Seen the world, just want to play golf, to be honest. And that, that seems to be maybe where he's at. It, it just doesn't seem like he's got that fight. He's got nothing to prove. He's, as you know, as I say, he's, he's played for one of the best teams. He's won everything. What what have you got left to do? Well, you know, apart from if he can't be asked playing football anymore, what's, what, 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 what's the motivator? He's got the money. He's got the trophies. Um... You know, maybe he's got himself in a bit of a cul-de-sac, and he needs something to, to something new. You know, maybe he wants to be a coach, or maybe he wants to take up golf, get on the PGA Tour. Uh, I don't know, but that, that, that just that just seems to me to be my gut feeling when I see him. That he's, yeah, he's got nothing to prove. He's he, and it's unique, and maybe that is, as I say, that maybe that is the the byproduct of being a success at Real Madrid is when you've done it all. You know what is left? You know you've 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 performed it. You've done it. There's nothing. There's no aim. And as I say, he can't go and he's he's done as much as he can with his national team. Um, yeah, so I can see him doing that, but not before he's collected six hundred grand for the next fifty-two weeks. <laughs> is that the cusp of what we're looking at, Marley? At the end of the day, this is a man who has achieved pretty much everything within the domestic game. He can't whatever he does next it's not going to help Wales win a world cup or a European championships he's got all the gold he can eat sitting in his bank account it's there there, why why would you continue why would you put your body on the line when you would rather be playing golf so and for that reason we're not going to see him returning to the Premier League be it with a Tottenham or be it with a Burnley or whoever because it would be a step down in his career yeah I agree with everything Ian said there to be honest I think um Bale, when this rumour first came about, I think it was two or three months ago that he might walk away from football, I thought, surely not, like, why would he, you know, what's the point, he's only 31, blah, 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 but when I, when I dug into it and, th- and thought about it, it, like Ian said, it makes sense, he's won everything, he's not, I don't think football's a massive, massive part of his life in terms of what makes him happy, Um, he likes playing golf, he likes chilling out, He likes. he's got money, he's got... Enough to retire on three times over. Um, he's won everything there is to win in the game. He's won the Champions League. He's won leagues. He's won cups. He's won plenty of silverware. He's won accolades. Um, he was nominated for the Ballon d'Or and all the rest of it. He's been one of the best in the world. He's not getting any better. Um, so he knows his, his, his peak's probably been and gone. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm probably in agreement with that. With that. I th- one thing I do think is... If when he left Spurs in 2013 or whatever year it was, I think if he'd have gone to like Man United or or I don't know AC Milan or Inter Milan or someone like that or Juventus, I think at this point in his career, once he got eight years down the line, he would still be full of life for football. I, I think the the mental impact it's had on him at Real Madrid and being. You know the foreigner, the unloved one. He never got the respect from from the Real Madrid fans. I think that's had a massive part on making him reflect on who he is as a person and say, 
I don't need this. I don't need to prove myself every week to you lot. If if I've been here eight years, scored a ridiculous bicycle kick in the Champions League final, won you that game with with his goals against Liverpool in 2019 or 2018, whenever it was. Um, you know, I think that's had a huge impact on him, and it's made him look at his life and go, "Hang on, I don't need this anymore. I I can do whatever the hell I want. I'm I've got." you know 20 million plus in the bank and the rest um it's very very simple for him to just walk away um and he can do that because he's got the control over his life he's 31 32 almost so he's he's got that control over his life and you get to that point in your life sometimes where you can just walk away and you you don't miss anything and if he's got the mental outlook on that to say you know I, I can be happy without football and coaching and and you know going in every day and trying to prove yourself to to fans that ultimately have already made their mind up about you he's probably doing all right isn't he he can he can afford he can afford to take a step back and take up professional golf which is probably what he'll end up doing gareth bale has got uh, an estimated over a hundred million pounds in the bank then fair play to him yeah i can see him doing that because if he just supposing, and, and and there's no reason to believe that this is the case, but we know that he likes golf a lot, and he's a very good golfer. I think he's a scratch golfer, if uh, you know, and all that kind of stuff. He's certainly he's certainly good enough. If he wanted to put his mind to becoming a professional golfer, I reckon it's it's not beyond the the realms that he could do it. And at 31, that's that's young for a golfer, isn't it? You know, it's, now's the time to start. If he's, uh, you know, in, in professional terms, I mean, I mean, obviously he's got the skills already, and uh, if that was something he wanted to do, then yeah, you know, he's he's perfect age to to do that supposing he did no no reason to believe at all we're just we're just making uh, assumptions because we know that he likes golf place uh, your bets now but gareth you know. bale to make the 2004 Ryder cup team 2004 not to 2024 Ryder Cup team you probably get really good odds but <laughs> the chances of it coming in are quite slim <laughs> uh, right and on my tips to predictions <laughs> we'll leave it there uh, that is it for Football Social Daily don't forget you can get the latest odds on England and the rest of the European Championships at Boyle Sports and the Boyle Sports betting app or boylesports.com and you can find that £10 no lose bet offer there as well come on England enjoy the game tonight and we'll see you Tomorrow, where we'll be picking over the bones of England versus Denmark on Football Social Daily. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty. And luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.